take that cue to go ahead and start. Um, apologize for the skipping. Uh, I was in storage and didn't realize that uh, it was all cracked. Um, I bought it a couple years ago because it was just really cool. And when I got it, I realized it actually works. So that's fun. Um, Hello, welcome to Wednesday. Um, I have a little bit of a different format for you tonight. Um, mostly because I, let me tell you why. So I started making the PowerPoint for you all and realized that I was getting way, way technical and I could not hone myself back. I did not want to repeat of last week where I think I went maybe too technical with the chemistry and everything. So this week, I'm going to take a walk with you guys through some of my favorite resources that I use when I'm doing research for whatever comes across my desk in the lab, um, the vinyl or photographs. Um, we're doing anything today that is uh, non-paper. So I mean, technically photographs have paper on them, but um, we'll say multimedia. That sound good to everyone? Cool. All right, so in Canvas on week three module, I've shared a link and I think you only have like the outline of the week and then the thing that I just shared and it's a list of all of the resources that I already have pulled up on my screen. We may go to some other ones as well, but um, that's at least a document that you have for um, what I currently have. Okay. So, all right, I have a bunch of fun examples for you today, hopefully. Hopefully this works. All right, let's go ahead and share the screen. Boom. Share that one. So feel free to go ahead and um, what was I going to say? Feel free and unmute yourself to ask a question if I'm not seeing the chat fast enough, because sometimes I kind of get a little um, blind to the little icon popping up. Um, so it, it won't it won't phase me at all unless you really don't want to be on recording. So I thought we could go ahead and start off with audio, seeing we had our fun little demonstration here. I had a second demo for you, um, well, three actually, but I could not find the adapter for my um, the other record player that I have. So sadly, you'll just have to imagine that I played you some Billy Joel and that I have played you some of the doors. And um, if I can find it, I'll record it for you guys. 
And I also recorded a tiny, I think maybe about eight minute video today on um, the case images that I have in the lab, as well as vinegar syndrome on some film that I have. So showed you how some of the things that we're gonna talk about later works. So I'll get that uploaded probably later tonight um, or early tomorrow. Then some of the announcements that I have uh, for today is, I don't know if everyone saw the announcement that I sent out a couple of days ago, but I've changed the due dates from Sundays to Wednesdays. So that gives you a couple extra days to turn everything in. And I'm not changing any of my leniency, um, any of my leniency policies, I guess. So there's still, it's just a recommended due date. It just helps me out, keep everything in line um, and, and whatnot. Um, then I have also started doing a couple different um, interviews with conservators. So if you have any questions for conservators, go ahead and fill out that form that was in that last announcement and I'll see what I can do there. And I'll get the first one of those done in the next day or two and uploaded. So that should be, that should be good. All right, so unless anyone has any questions, we can jump right in. Is that first image on this page of wax cylinders? Yes, it is, yes. Um, yeah, we'll go over them kind of briefly. I think I actually have a pretty cool link uh, page out here that has um, some, I think it's Australia maybe, that is doing some really interesting stuff with wax, um, um, I was gonna say seals, <laughs> the wax uh, cylinders. So, whew. quiz two has a blank question. Will that grade be changed? Yes. If you notice anything like that, let me know. That is probably just user error because this is the first time I'm using uh, Canvas and on the back end, sometimes it can get a little uh, confusing. So, sorry about that. I'll write a note to check that now. Okay. All right, so this is one of um, one of my favorite websites to go to when I'm looking for um, different types of media that are not really current, let's say. Um, so the Museum of Obsolete Media, um, it has a really good timeline and um, it, it kind of breaks it down through a little bit of the history. So we've got the music box cylinders. You can pretty much click on anything. I just like how it's very linearly organized, linearly. It's organized in a linear fashion. Um, and it gives you a really nice breakdown of what this item is, other resources to go to. Sometimes when it gets into a little bit more um, uh, the technical things, it, it misses out on any preservation issues and it doesn't get too, too technical. So this is more of like a, if you're going to the museum and you wanna learn some more about these things, um, this is a really good like starter, kind of like the Wikipedia version of these things. So um, 
I mean, that's, I guess, really all I can say about this one. It's just, it's a very good, like, starter resource. Let's see. Okay. Great. So then another one is the Archives of American Art. And they have some great breakdowns of, um, anything that you would need specifically for like archives. So um, oops, I got that open. Um, identifying and dating archival uh, AV formats. So it has this one here, the PSAP. We're gonna open that one up here in a couple minutes. And um, the obsolete media is really, really great. And then there's some more video and audio and motion picture film um, options here. And we'll come back to this one when we get to film. And let's see, archives.gov has a lot of really great things here. So tools um, to help you figure out how to embed metadata and black and white files. So this is if you're getting into like the digital side of things. Um, yeah, the American Art, uh, Archives of American Art is really, really great. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a lot of really great uh, care and handling things. So there's a lot of like PDFs and stuff that people upload on here. And then if you want to get really technical, they have the AES standards, which may be a little bit too technical unless you're actually working specifically with AV, but you know, you never know. And then some sustain sustainability and digital formats. That one's really big right now. Um, we're not getting it too much into digital today. Uh, we'll do that another day. And then the reformatting, I think I moved to next week as well, just because I didn't realize how much stuff I had going on today when I wrote up the, um, the syllabus. So sorry about that. All right, so the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia, um, they've got some really cool stuff, uh, wax cylinders. It's got a nice little history. And then what they've done is they've, they're basically making new um, uh, wax cylinders that you can play. And so these, they've invited artists to come in and actually play um, their instruments or, or sing, you know, perform uh, on a wax cylinder. And um, so they have different pictures and some of them have videos that you can watch and the audio that you can listen to. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Um, different things that the museums and, and such are doing to um, try to get the info out. So, let's see if we can get one of these to open. I will say that it was a little bit frustrating earlier when I was attempting to get one of these to play. So, we'll see if it behaves now. There we go. You want to play for us? We won't listen to the whole thing just for a couple of seconds. Are we supposed to be able to hear it? Oh, can you not hear it? It should be playing for you. It, it's just 
got some quiet background music. Did at the you second. share your sound with Ooh, everybody? Let me pause this and see. Because uh, I, I taught kindergarten uh, virtually and I would not share my sound all the time. And that was oh, terrible. Yeah. Let's see if that's an option. You might have to unshare your screen and then reshare it and it'll be a little box you click at the bottom left, I think. All right, let's check it out. Sorry, technical difficulties. Okay, share. So it's not one of the things that I expected to uh, encounter today. I'm not seeing an option. So maybe I'll just set a, I can send the link to that to you guys. Screen share. Hmm. I'll, I'll share the link with you guys. Sorry about that. What a tease. All right, so here's the, the link here. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, people sharing, uh, selling stuff on wax seals, wax cylinders. Oh, I found it. I got it. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, that's not wanting to work now. So we're just gonna, I don't know, tell me if you can hear the sound now. We are the Spirit of Things Collective. Recording at the NFSA, September 4th, 2013. Dulu bang baran na wigani mulam budu ganyana gara jin. Dulu bang baran na wigani mulam budu ganyana gara jin. Kabain na bare ya pulamagu darawi darawi. Yalu. Kabain na bare ya pulamagu darawi darawi. Yalu. Kabalu 
So after recording, now we're ready to, to listen to our cylinder. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, basically, this is a mandrel. Basically, yep. slide it on, just get enough tension. There. And she goes clean. Now essentially, when you've got a, 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 a good shaped cylinder and the cylinder as it's spinning, and it should be stays the same, stays, the same, stays smooth, and doesn't uh, doesn't oscillate in any way. And then drop the needle. here at the um, NFSA, they have um, just a ton of these. So um, I think they have, oh, I don't remember how many, I looked it up earlier and now I can't recall, but there's a lot of different um, videos showing, creating the wax cylinders and playing them. So um, just an interesting concept of like bringing old art into, you know, modern audiences making you know history a little bit um, involved is that the word I want to go with we'll go with it all right so the PSAP um, is probably my top favorite uh, resource um, accessible yes we'll go with accessible that, that makes much more sense <laughs> um, it's been a long day I apologize um, so this is probably one of the first resources that I'll go to. And I, let's see, it's the um, Illinois did this, the University of Illinois. And um, basically what it is, is you can go to, I'll backtrack a little bit here, show you guys. Um, you have a full collection ID guide and you can choose down the left-hand side, uh, basically what it is that you're looking for through, you know, AV, book of paper, photo and it'll give you, so we've already done paper, right? It'll show you different types of acid-free paper, coated paper, newsprint, um, inks, office copies, architectural drawings, uh, you know, let's see, binding types. Let's go into some bindings. So this will show you different pictures and um, we'll give you little things to click on occasionally and go through just definitions with a lot of really nice images or illustrations. And um, yeah, I just, I really like this resource because I, that I'm very visual when I'm looking at stuff. And so sometimes when people are explaining through some of the later ones, you'll see, I like them as later resources, you'll see um, where they do a lot of that, where it's a lot of just written word instead of um, actually going through what it is that you, um, instead of giving you pictures, that's what I'm trying to say. 
apparently I can't navigate a screen and talk at the same time. All right, so we have different types of audio tapes and um, reels. So these are all, I, there's just so much for me to like pick and choose. And then I started trying to figure out, well, which ones do I see on a regular basis? And it's, that was still too cumbersome. So if there's anything that anyone specifically wants to really talk about, feel free to call it out um, because there's so much that we could basically just pick and choose it that way. Um, but yeah, it goes through the different storage enclosures that they recommend, paper, plastic, paperboard, storage orientation. So how should it be stored vertically or horizontally? How do you handle it? Um, so it ju it's just very, very thorough. It gives you any synonyms for the item, dates it was made, common sizes, composition, basic, uh, common deterioration issues, risk levels, playback stuff, um, because there are several different types of records, like the, um, the phonograph that's behind me has um, very specific um, playback speeds. And a lot of times it'll be listed on the actual disc or just knowing what kind of disc it is will let you know what the playback speed is. So, you know, you'll have like a 45 and that needs to be played at 45 RPMs, um, things like that. Uh, so I, I always thought that was kind of interesting because I had a record player growing up, but never really, you know, knew that. So getting to learn about it was really cool. Um, storage environment. We haven't really gone over an environment or climate yet. That's a little bit later on in the semester. Kind of want to get the fun stuff up front. Um, but it gives you uh, the temperature and humidity that it should be stored in. And the RH just means relative humidity. And yeah, so it'll also sometimes will give you the um, like the machines it's played on and will also give you images to look at it against. So if you're having trouble trying to find, well, this particular type of film is, you know, such and such millimeters, but it kind of has this weird color on it. It'll, it'll show you that as well. All right. So that is audio formats. Does anybody have any questions first about audio formats? It's more of a general question that I have. Um, I was wondering, I noticed in our readings that it didn't really talk about treatment options for problems. It, it talked about possible issues, but not what the treatment of them would be. Is that more something you would learn in say an internship or something like that? Right. Or is there a resource that you could look for somewhere? So for audio formats and film, really any of the, the things that we're going to be talking about today, there's not a lot of treatments that are recommended for people who aren't specifically trained in the conservation of that particular item, only because they are so vastly different from each other. And if you get one little thing wrong, um, it's uh, uh, you know, a disaster. So for, you know, um, I'm thinking photographs specifically, if there's like a gelatin um, emulsion layer versus another, maybe it's collodion, one of them, you 
can clean with just distilled water and like ethanol, uh, like a 50-50 mix. And you can very gently clean the photograph if there's a lot of like sticky grime or like cigarette smoke stuck to it or whatever. But the other one, and they look identical without testing them or knowing exactly where they're coming from. Um, the other one looks identical, but if you use the ethanol on it, that emulsion layer on top is alcohol soluble. And so you'll just completely eat away the, um, the emulsion layer of it and destroy the entire photograph. So, and the same thing with the AV stuff, because film is basically just most of the time varying types of plastics or, um, uh, so what am I for? We'll go with plastics for now. If I think of it, I'll, I'll throw it in. But um, so using, trying to clean them is just really, really tricky or trying to do any kind of repairs. They're so invasive that it makes the repair very difficult to do. So unless you're like specifically trained in it, it's just, it's really not recommended. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I was curious about like looking at all those um, tape different formats. Don't you have to have, if you collect all that, don't you have to have a playback type of thing for every one? Like if you have it in your collection, don't you have to have the, the tape deck or the eight track thing or the, or the cart um, machine or the reel to reel or do you, how do you, how do you I use it? Ideally, <laughs> yes. If you have that type of, that, that format in your collection, you should have some way to play it back. However, that's not always the case for uh, a myriad of reasons. So in my experience, we've had, um, like we had a bunch of beta max uh, tapes and we, which is like the, the precursor and um, like competitor to VHS in the what 60s and 70s and 80s and um just because Betamax what didn't get to the level of um popularity as VHS did nobody had well there just wasn't as many Betamax uh players so now that we're getting up there in age and that whole planned obsolescence uh theory about you, you know you should you know build in damage like to where things will break down at a certain period of time so that people have to purchase new things um we're getting to that age now where it's very difficult to find working um, players for a lot of these things in my experience the older things like that especially the mechanical side of things like your real real projectors and um, the older cameras, basically anything that doesn't have a computer chip in it is fairly easy to have, um, fairly easy to like conserve or restore. Once you start getting into the more digital side of things, like when you start getting into some of those early VHS players and the Betamax, then that gets really tricky um, just because those components break down so quickly and they're incredibly hard to replicate. And there are companies out there that will build that are building uh, replacement parts to it um, or where you can purchase another broken machine. So you buy two or three Betamax players and then just harvest parts from the other ones and kind of Frankenstein it. Um, there's a lot of Frankensteining and preservation I'm learning. 
So, um, yeah, yes, to get back to your actual answer, seeing I've tangented like four times in that conversation is, um, yes, you should have the equipment to play it, but that's not always going to be the case. However, uh, you can contact out companies or other institutions or um, solicit uh friends who may have an interest in film and ask them if you can borrow one of their machines. And a lot of times there are companies that will help you digitize those older materials, like the microfilms and whatnot, excuse me. But unfortunately, a lot of those times you have to actually pack those things up and ship them out to them and then they ship them back. I've not heard of any real big disaster stories as far as um, the company themselves doing any damage, but you know, there's always, possibility of damages happening through the shipping or mailing. So does that answer your question, I hope? Ah, couldn't get unmuted. Yes, it does. I was I started thinking about this because when you showed the wax cylinder thing, it looked like that they had built, it's not an old gramophone. It looked like he had built some sort of newish thing to play it with and then he would, had it connected to his computer and he had a recording some kind of recording mm -hmm. software like audacity or something and i thought well okay he just completely redid that to make it work now and i don't know if you can always do that or not but yeah that's yeah. so interesting you, you see a lot of that as well with like um old video games right now there's in the uk i want to say it's in bradford maybe and um i forget which part of Great Britain, but they have a museum of um, like video games and, and stuff. And so what they've been doing is they've been putting a lot of the um, older games onto like emulators and it doesn't necessarily play the same. And if anyone has purchased one of those like the small Nintendo emulators um, recently, like the games don't play quite the same, but at least you kind of get the same feeling and it's a good stand in and a pinch. So, I mean, there's people are trying to get creative on how to keep this information um, it, like playable on modern technology. So, I mean, just as we advance, it's gonna get a lot harder. Even if you think back to um, trying to open up old documents or old flash drives, from you know, five or six years ago, um, a lot of times you can't open them because the, the, the right drivers aren't in there. Um, so like, this is never a problem that's gonna go away, but it is a really interesting one to like look at and read into when you're looking for, okay, so we have this like break, this cutting edge uh, technology today. Well, how are we gonna maintain it for the future? And like, what are we doing you know, to, to make that happen? So I always found it interesting that when they sent out um, the, uh, it, I think they have one on the rover and also NASA sent out that gold disc that was basically audio etched into the gold disc, which is exactly what um, one of the um, vinyl records is, is it's just the audio etched in just like the, the wax cylinder. Um, so I guess sound they think is eternal. <laughs> So something interesting. <laughs> All right, so I'll move on to photographs because photographs are really the, if you're working in just a regular 
library archive, you're going to be working with a lot of book and paper, which is why I spent a whole week, a uh, whole week on that. And then a lot of time on photographs and occasionally film and audio are always in there. Um, uh, had a problem with a patron who wanted to print their resume from a floppy disk. Yeah, I had an external drive. Yeah, floppy disks are really bad at that. Um, so are the VHS and the DVDs. And I'll touch on that a bit when we get into the film. Um, but yeah, and another big thing with the, um, the VHS and some of the magnetic stuff is um, really tricky because people will think, you know, not too much about it and they'll put a magnet next to it or leave it out in the car for a couple of days and it just melts it or erases the, the data. So really interesting. All right, so the NEDCC, uh, the Northeast Document Conservation Center, that's where um, textbook is through. They have what are called preservation leaflets, if you guys haven't <clears throat> looked through them yet. I also reference these a lot as well, and I like that they break it down by topic. Um, they do have photographs, but not a whole lot on like um, film or textile or audio. There's a little bit on like digital down here, but um, but their photographs are really good and they've been updating, working on updating those this year, which is, I think, great. So um, this, several of them here are really useful. I use these a lot, like the first, I wanna say four or five of these, I'll use pretty often whenever I'm going through a, um, a collection of photographs. So like nitrate film, um, I'm sure some of you have heard about the nitrate is that's the one where if you've ever seen videos of old cinema houses um, on fire, it was because of the nitrate base. Um, they discovered that if you kept it at the uh, incorrect temperature and humidity, so basically in the storehouses that they were keeping it in, once that film, and I don't quote me on this, but I think it's like about 100 degrees, it will just spontaneously combust and then you can't put it out. Like water's not gonna work. Like fire extinguishers don't really work. The only thing you can do is just like let it burn itself out. So one of the fun ways of identifying nitrate is um, well, you've got the edge printing here. And so they'll put little um, notches in it and it, it doesn't say nitrate and your cell cellulose nitrate on the side or anything, but it will have the notches. Um, and there's like very specific notch codes from the um, from the like the company that produces it, so Kodak or whoever else was doing it at the time. Um, and it'll also let you know um, the last dates of manufacture. So like if you have um, an X-ray from the '40s, you know it's not going to be on cellulose uh, nitrate. Um, so another way to identify it besides looking at the, the year on like a guide like this or looking at the notches is to trim off a little piece. And so I'll usually, if, if it's in a stack of photos that all look identical and you can't tell the notches aren't there or um, you know what have you, you can always trim off just a little piece. And then if you, you can catch it on fire, like you take a match and you light it on fire and um, by the 
away it burns and how quickly it burns and how intensely it burns will tell you if it's nitrate or not. And funnily enough, I have actually had to do that a couple of times um, in special collections. There is a film of it somewhere, but I have yet to be able to find where it has been posted and I can't get a hold of the, um, the person that helped me film it. So when I do find it, I will post it. So um, keep an eye out for that. Um, so then I also like that it has like the deterioration like levels they can go into. So level one, no deterioration, it looks fine. So then the, you know, level two begins to yellow and, and get mirror, uh, like a, it almost looks like a shiny mirror finish on it, like an oil slick or something on, usually on the dark spots is where, where it'll begin. And then on three, it'll become sticky and it starts smelling really awful and that's nitric acid. And so once it starts getting really stinky, you definitely do not want to be anywhere near it or touching it. Um, yeah, fire is a lot of fun, Victoria. Um, I'm telling you, my job's the best. Uh, so then we get some fading and then the film starts getting very soft and like squishy, but also very brittle. And it's a very bizarre texture. And then the last level is it degenerates into a brown like powder and it's like acidic. So if you get it on your skin, will actually give you a very small rash. Um, I may or may not know that one from experience, but um, yeah, it's not pleasant. So there's other ways for um, looking at it. You can do the polarization test. And I actually built one of those and did not think to bring it with me today. Um, but there is a guide here on how to make it. I think you just have to purchase, like, I think it costs like $5 to make overall. There's a little piece of um, uh, polarizing film that you can use uh, and, and such. So here's the burn test and a float test. Um, the float test is very dangerous because you have to use trichloroethylene and it's like a carcinogen. So not my favorite one to do. So then we have like acetate film base. And these two film bases are the two that you're gonna like encounter the most frequently in um, photographs, like historic photographs. So these as well have the edge printing and there's more reports and um, pictures and stuff about that. Again, some dating information and who made them and then some more deterioration. So once you get into like this level here, warping, it's really nasty. Um, but you'll start getting this like really tight curl at the edges of the, um, the photo and it'll start turning some, some strange colors. Like yeah, here it says red or blue. Um, I've also seen it get kind of like orangey. And then, um, so this level three, they don't have a picture for, but I have a little bit of a video for you that I did earlier today where I show you in film at least um, when, you, when you get to the, um, um, this type of film, you get, if, you have, if you've ever eaten the salt and vinegar chips or opened up a brand new bottle of like vinegar or just opened it, I guess, about any bottle of vinegar and you get that like really like that smell, it just hits like the back of your brain. And so whenever you're walking through um, shelves of film or um, like microfilm, you should see it the most on there because that's where you usually have the biggest concentration of that particular thing. 
Um, so you just start smelling vinegar all of a sudden. And that's how you know this particular type of film is starting to um, just break down. Um, acetate, there's a word I was looking for, cellulose acetate. And so this is called acetic acid and it more commonly known as uh, vinegar syndrome. So once it starts doing that, it starts to get really brittle and then you get some bubbles on the top and then you get some channeling. That's what this like cracky moon surface or, you know, looks like. Um, but once you start really smelling that vinegar smell, there really is no going back. You can't stop it. You can slow it down by putting it in some cold storage, not freezing it, but just some cold storage. And um, I, I mean, you can slow it down, but there's there's really no no going back. If you get to that level, you really just need to uh, um, have it digitized or you know um, have another copy of it made. Uh, when you get into like the microfilms, a lot of times most libraries will just have a copy, whereas other there'll be somewhere locally that you can get like a master copy made. And so they can send you another one. Can it be used for anything else once that process occurs? Not for its original purpose, obviously, but for repurposing. So once we, yeah, once they get to like this level, there's really nothing else that you can do with them, mostly because it becomes a health hazard. So once you start smelling that vinegar syndrome, it actually becomes dangerous health-wise, especially if you have any kind of, um, issues like breathing issues or asthma. Um, I One of the first projects I got put on was assessing the microfilm in the storage um, library uh, when I started my job here. And I walked in, the first thing, you know, after greeting everybody was like, all right, have you been walking up and down the aisles and smelt any weird smells? Has anything smelt like mothballs? And has anything smelt like vinegar, like salt and vinegar chips? And um, one of the librarians that had been here for decades just his eyes got this big and he's like oh my gosh yeah that's so random this entire section over here smells like vinegar I was like ah shoot and uh you go and do the little ad test strips or the little blue paper strips and you put them in the film canister and you leave them for you know a, a couple minutes to a couple hours to overnight and then you pull it out and you if it changes colors it'll tell you what level of deterioration it's at and um but yeah, I, so I tested all of these different canisters of film and I was there. You, you can only do it for like two hours max because you start getting very lightheaded. You start, it starts getting like rather hard to breathe. So you either have to wear like a ton of PPE, like always gloves, like the nitrile gloves, um, respirator um, in 95 or like one of the reusable respirators. And um yeah, it's just some nasty business. So you're not really gonna wanna use it for anything else. And because it is an acid or is off-gassing acid, you can't really burn it. There are places where, um, I think you can contact Kodak. I think Kodak does it. And I feel, I wanna say there's one other company that does it. I'll have to look that up. I'm gonna um, make a note of that. Um, who they will actually come, you, you can ship it which is not recommended, or they'll have someone come pick it up or you can drop it off somewhere and they will actually recycle that film for you. Um, and by recycling, they mean uh, disposing of it. So they'll just do it in a 
safe way. And yeah, the Bennett photo collection is, yeah, you could see all of this in that. In fact, I was trying to um, find some examples today. Um, I, I was gonna do some demos on how to unroll photographs, but um, I ran out of time uh, in the lab. But um, the storage library in Hoskins, yes. Um, so cold storage is kind of a pressure point for me. Um, so no, there's, there is no cold storage. Um, but most of the stuff that we have on microfilm that are affected are um, easily replaced or already available in a digital format. So we have access through um, like the publishers or through um, like Hottie Trust or in some other way we have access to it. So it's nothing that is like original content. We're not, but if we were to just dispose of the, the microfilm that we have, there's nothing that we're disposing of that is like one of a kind. So yeah, cold, we're in the process of looking at maybe getting a, a new um, extra storage um, building built for special collections. And so this is one of the things that I, I keep trying to get put on the table. So we'll see. Cross your fingers for me, guys. It's, it's, a, long, it's a long argument. Um, so like with anything in preservation, cool, dry area is really going to be your best bet. Um, and with photographs, really, you are always going to want to wear the nitrile gloves when you're working with those. If you can't wear gloves with it, then just hold the like outside so as close to the edges as you can or kind of like just the back it's really difficult to do that so i just any kind of glove will really do even if all you have is like rubber house gloves as long as there's no dirt or grease on them um so yeah the um preservation leaflets i think are really great for um a lot of this type of stuff and they also, I'm only going to go into this first one, but a lot of the older photographs trying to identify what they are is one of the things that I kind of struggle with because like, for instance, here, you've got a daguerreotype and an amber type and they almost look identical. And when you're looking at like 950 cased images, um, which are what these are called, where they have the photograph in this little, little it's almost like a little uh, envelope or a little card with the image on one side and this velvet lining on the other side. Um, when you're going through like hundreds of them, they all start like melting together. So, you know, I'll sometimes just build myself like a little checklist of like, okay, does it have a mirror surface? Is it a positive or a negative? Is it housed in a mini case? Does it have wood covered leather paper, you know, whatever. Um, so I like that this shows you like what the technique is, what the material it's printed on is, the dates of use, it gives you a little sample image and then gives you a little bit like more information on here. So um, what I don't notice on this is like basically saying, don't ever open up any of them. You don't wanna take those formats apart. You wanna keep it in the case um, because some of them, and I can't remember which one it is, but they actually had, it's like gas filled and, um, it gets a little tricky if you let that out, the, um, the, it starts to tarnish. So then we have like different uncoated types of papers. 
So these are photographs from negatives. And these three up here are all direct prints. And what that means, it, or direct positive photographs, excuse me, um, is this piece of uh, silver was placed directly inside the camera. And so instead of having a negative that you'll print that image from, you're actually printing directly onto the silver um, or uh, copper uh, plated with silver. So there is no negative. This is it. You, there's only one. You can't, you can't replicate it or anything. It's one and done. Now, once you get down to these down here, this is where you actually will have a negative of some fashion. Um, so sometimes, <laughs> um, nothing is ever like 100% for cer uh, certain in, in any of these. But some of these you'll see more often than not. Um, the, the cyanotypes, you don't really, I've never encountered a photograph with it. I've seen some of the palladiotypes. Um, these are really easy to spot because they'll usually have a piece of paper on the opposing side and it always has that like little ghost image. A lot of times you'll see these in um, like art, art books, like the older art books. Um, then the al albumin print. So what's special about this one is the albumin is actually egg whites. And so they've got the egg white um, uh, like layer in there, um, uh, the, the coating. I think that's what they use as the emulsion layer on top. Carbon prints are really stable. Um, again, there, none of this you absolutely have to memorize unless you're going to be working a ton with photographs, but it's always good to know where you can find the information if you need to find them. So I, I just really like how the NEDCC has put this together. So um, you get, um, oh, here's some the more of the cellulose, cellulose acetate um, channeling that you'll get here. Um, but yeah, gives you more resources. So there's more options on the NADCC uh, leaflets, but that gives you the gist. And then um, I just prop this up because uh, you might get a lot of um, architectural drawings and reproductions. And so you'll, you know, these are really great in there. You'll notice that all of these are like courtesy of Lois Alcott Price. And she wrote a great book called um, Line, Shade, and Shadow. And um, if you need any architectural drawing help at all, like this is the name that you want. Um, blueprints are horrible, hate them because they are constantly just shedding apart because they are nothing but acid with more acid and then some acid on top of it. So they're extremely sensitive to light and you cannot put them in a buffered anything, which is what almost everything else in the library goes in. So you just have to be really careful labeling everything, um, what's buffered, what's unbuffered. So basically what that means is this doesn't have that extra um, bicarbonate uh, in there, calcium carbonate in there um, to kind of help mitigate the acid content that we talked about last week. Um, yeah, there's some more interesting types of prints, you'll see a lot of diazo prints and the lithographs occasionally. So I know I'm going through this kind of fast, but I think maybe you guys would probably have more fun kind of browsing through them and looking at what you'd like. Um, so the PSAP also has a um, photograph and image cheat sheet and they go into very specifics, um, into a lot more specific 
information as far as like preservation and stuff go and gives you the date range, uh, picture, example, what the image consists of, how to identify it, preservation methods. Um, but yeah, it's always good to have a couple different places where you can look at different examples and have more information here or there. And then we get into some film here, which goes right into the next topic we were going to talk about. And any questions so far about photographs? Feel free to jump in if you need to. All right, so I'd say for me personally, pronounce the first one, this one, or this one up here. This is daguerreotype. Is that the one you were looking for? Okay, cool. Yeah, the daguerreotype, and then the other one is the um, the ambrotype are the two that here were always confusing, tricky names. All right, so the, the types of film that I encounter the most working in a library is not like your standard, like reel to reel film, um, like movies or whatever. Although I, we do have a bit of that in various parts of the collection, um, but I'll get a lot of um, a couple home videos and stuff, but it's mostly the bulk of it is going to be micro formats or micro forms um, like microfilm and microfiche. So microfilm is probably, well, I guess you see them both pretty evenly. So it looks like a little reel. And what it is, is it's just a, an image of a page in a magazine or some kind of document. And it's printed just super tiny onto this whole thing. And then you have a, um, microfilm reader. And if you've ever been into the storage library or used a, excuse me, a microfilm reader, um, they're, they're a blast. Um, <laughs> I highly suggest it. Um, the bad thing about microfilm and microfiche is when they started using it, because you can keep so much data in such a small amount of space, what they did with the originals is they ended up throwing them away or recycling them or using them in other ways. So you'd have journals and um, you know articles, magazines that have been completely microfilmed and um, they just threw away the originals because they felt, well, this week there's no matter where you work or how much money your institution has, you will always have a space problem. You will never have enough space, no matter where you work. So you just gotta get really creative about it. So this was a solution. I remember hearing um, a couple decades ago now, um, someone saying, oh yeah, you know, you can hold the entire Library of Congress collection on microfiche in a briefcase. And um, they just thought it was the greatest thing. So it started about the, you know, 1935. And then what happened was um, a, they would, after a certain amount of time, because again, it was printed on that, um, the acetate films was, or the nitrate films would, it would start off gassing and start making the, those awful smells and then becoming brittle and just decomposing on the reel. 
because this was a time before, um, you know, uh, really having air conditioning in the building or any kind of like stable environment for um, film. So technically microfilm is still made, yes, but once you get into about, I wanna say it's like 82, don't quote me on that, but it's right in the like early to mid eighties, they switched from having um, the acetate based films and they went more into the polyester films. And what, what that means is you'll, you won't get vinegar syndrome in those polyester films. So from the mid eighties on are totally, I, I think they have a lifespan, a life expectancy of kept in proper temp and RH will last about 200 years, I think is what, um, what the lifespan on, on the polyester film is. And then the stuff before that you have, depending on what temperature and humidity you've kept it in, could last anywhere from like a year to like five years, 20 years, 30 years, but it's really not gonna last more than like 50, 60. I've seen some people say a hundred years, but I, I feel like that's kind of pushing it. Um, it, it just, it, it's really hard to keep in, in those, uh, in that sweet spot. Oh, 500 years for polyester film. There you go. Well, I was only a little bit off. <laughs> um, microfiche is exactly the same thing. It just looks a little different. They're on sheets like these, like little cards. Um, so they fit very nice into little card cabinets, but all the same issues are there. So sensitive to high heat and humidity. Again, it's a plastic, a, a plasticized um, uh, format that you're using. So it's, it's gonna, you know, melt under high heat and, uh, and really, really dry. So you also have micro card, which is basically the same thing, but photo of it. We have some of these, but really not too many of them. They, again, yeah, they were only produced for 20 years. So, you know, um, the micro prints, I just, I, I don't think any, anyone really uses them. Aperture cards, this is like the precursor to like computer content. So you'll actually, if you go rummaging through a lot of the old books on the shelf in the library at uh, UT or probably any older university, um, if you flip to the back of the book or front of the book, wherever that like checkout card is, a lot of times you can find these just floating around. Um, I have one here somewhere. Anyway, um, my husband discovered it and he started using it as a bookmark. And I think that's hilarious. Um, some of them are on like various types of film, but I've also seen them on paper. Um, negatives, glass or film. I, um, again, a lot of the same stuff that you're gonna run into with the photograph and then the collodion glass negatives. You'll get these a lot and um, the glass negatives are really interesting because I mean, that's exactly what they sound like. Um, but so building little four flat boxes for it is one of the options for um, our virtual lab this week. So I'll show you what that looks like here in a second. So it, there's just a lot more options here to kind of go through. Um, uh, mechanical prints. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a fun little um, scroll through 
uh, highly suggest if you're interested in any kind of photography to um, look through these. So definitely worth it. Um, let's see. The NFSA also has some film identification options here by going through like gauge. They'll tell you what kind of emulsions you can look at by looking at like, here's what a sound negative looks like. You can tell because it's got this little strip on the side here, a magnetic full coat. This is the one I was telling you before. Like if you put, um, you know, at the library, when you, you check out a book and you see them wave the book over that big brick looking machine thing and it goes clunk, clunk. <laughs> it's magnetizing or demagnetizing the uh, metal strip that's in the book. And that's what sets, you know, the, um, the gates off. So if you were to put like, this is a VHS. Um, if you were to put like a VHS uh, through that thing, it would basically just wipe the data from the VHS, which is why there's always their big sign that says, do not put videos or, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I unfortunately don't have a ton of time to go through everything, but um, the film is just fascinating. And the PSAC, once again, and my favorite, it will go through literally every kind, Super 8, there's a movie about that a couple of years ago. So it shows you here, like the format of the Super 8 versus the eight millimeter. And you can tell like up here, the, the dots here are a bit bigger and down here are smaller. And down here, they're in between the video. And I think there was something also about the sound being um, on the side around this time as well. Um, but it'll give you what the binder they've used is, what the support, so what that plasticized thing is on it, is it acetate or polyester, and then what the binder is, so what's keeping everything in, in you know, uh, intact, and then what makes the image, so um, storage environment, how, what kind of enclosures are recommended, how to handle, and do, you know, handle or care, um, so uh, this little thing right here has been um, super handy when looking at a couple of the older films. Because so we have a couple from like the 30s, um, but you're usually never lucky enough to get it to say nitrate film <laughs> when it is nitrate. So, um, and then the acetate films will have the word safety printed on it. And then right here, when you get to the video, this will cue your memory. Um, another way to tell acetate is to place it up against like the light. So if you're holding it up against something white or, you know, light upstairs, whatever, um, you can't see the light through it here, through the film. So that's probably acetate. And then if you can see through it, then that would most likely be nitrate. Um, so if you see this, you know, just a little bit more cautious, maybe want to keep it in a cooler environment. Um, and then polyester, same. And then here's how soundtracks work. So is it optical soundtrack or is it magnetic? Um, again, that's gonna make a difference on how you handle it a bit. And then obsolete media, the Museum of Obsolete Media has a really nice timeline, just like they did for the um, audio, the AV stuff. So, um, They've got some really good stuff on here. And then 
I don't use the National Archives nearly as much, but this does have some pretty good pictures. And, um, you know, if you just need a couple extra examples of how to find um, better explanation of what you need, that's a good option. And filmcare.org, this is probably the first one in my list that I'll go through. Um, I think this one might be definitely more um, robust than the other ones. So um, for like motion picture, it, it breaks it down a bit more. And I think this is the, the, the option or the, the resource that my friend who does um, film archive sent to me. But I like this one because it actually gives you things to click on. So say we found a film that we suspect was made probably somewhere in the 70s and then choose the edge print for your film. So, you know, which one does it look like? Does it say nitrate? Does it say safety, blah, blah, blah. So let's just say it says, you know, we'll say it says nitrate. Does your film react to the polarization test? And that's that little card that I told you you can make for like five bucks or something. So we'll say, yes, it does. And does your film react to the light, light piping test? This is what we just talked about before. So we'll say, yes. So your film is probably acetate or polyester. Uh, probably because it reacted to those things. But you can kind of click around and play. And uh, anything made in the 1910s apparently is nitrate. <laughs> so um, this one's just, I really like this one for this feature right here. And I do believe they have similar things for the photography as well. Somewhere, still photo. Anyway, oh, slides and such. So it's a good one, filmcare.org. All right, any questions about film? I hope this is as useful for you as I was hoping it was when I planned to do it this way. <laughs> so, um, all right, the next and last thing that we're gonna talk about in hopefully just a few minutes is textiles. So I, I really don't run into textiles too, too much in library work. That may be different if you go into a museum or archaeological stuff, but for the most part, I'd say in my library career, the most fabric I work with is we were donated some World War II um, uniforms, like a trench coat and um, some stuff like that. But they were in really good condition. Um, and flags, there's a lot of flags and uh, then modern materials. And then if there's any books covered in cloth, but for the most part, those are plasticized cloths. So it's not really the same. Um, so unless your library specifically starts collecting textiles, you're probably not gonna deal too, too much with it. Um, there's a lot of information on flag care and if you get like war uniforms, 
honestly, and I didn't think about it until just now, one of the best resources for any type of military garb um, that you get in, if you need to like repair, like replace a button or anything like that is um, the local groups that do like historical reconstruction, like, um, I, I forget, I'm totally drawing a blank on what it's called, but the people who do like the Civil War reenactments, there we go. Um, they usually are pretty specific on purchasing proper stuff. Any samplers or needlepoint? Um, honestly, no, uh, not, not too much. Um, I mean, we do have Smokey, uh, the, he's, he's the, um, the mascot, but he's fabric. And then we get a lot of like t-shirts. So if there's ever any event, like there was the, um, the world record, the Guinness world record, um, where everyone was on the football field with like the T, the, the UT t-shirt, they made the biggest T, they saved some of those and like small hats and things like that. Um, no, I can't recall if we have any samplers or needlepoint, um, but that's a good question. But you might, um, but for the most part, all the fabric is just going to be dealt with the same way. So you'll either have a specialist come in, or um, if it's in really, really good condition, it feels really sturdy, um, you can carefully work with it, but you're not going to be washing it. You're, you're not going to put it in a washing machine of any kind or use any kinds of your modern detergents, um, even if it is a modern item, the surfactants and things that they use in them can be very aggressive and very harsh and they're meant for different purposes. And also th this is again, when you get into textiles, you, you get into a very interesting um, uh, ethical question here, me, me and my ethics again, is, um, what part of that is important? Because you can have a million different World War II uniforms, but what's the important part? Is it the dirt from when that soldier was in, you know, um, you know, on the beaches of Normandy? Or uh, if there is there a blood stain, is that part of the artifact now? Or is it a health hazard? You know, how do you go about figuring that out? Um, the tears in it, do you keep the tears so that way you can tell the story of this item or do you try to repair the tears to keep it intact so it's not falling apart? So you get into like really interesting issues when it comes to repairing things as far as textiles are concerned. And so that's a question most of the time you will speak with the, who, the donor is a good person to speak with or um, the archivist who's working on that collection. Um, yeah, Jackie O's suit was never clean from the shooting, yeah. Um, there's actually several several of those things first. Um, yeah, and at McClung also, they, she says that they, they donated a lot of that stuff uh, um, to um, the drama. Uh, theater. Um, when you accession things, you have like a deed of gift and you kind of make it known as like, if we can't find a place in it, it like in your collection where it fits, um, 
then we reserve the right to do with it what we will. So you can recycle it or donate it or find another institution that is better equipped to handle that type of material or that collects specifically with that. So like maybe we don't, um, we don't collect this generally, but maybe our sister institution over here or the museum down the street is more likely to collect those types of things. You may ask them if they would like it. So um, the McClung Museum and Special Collections will actually talk back and forth to each other. And if we're deaccessioning some things that we think they may want, or if they're deaccessioning things they think we may want, um, that that's always the first place that we ask. And you know, we get the yes or no, then transfer the deed of ownership over. Um, otherwise, uh, we have other ways to go. Um, yeah. So I, I may or may not, I, I can't recall. I think one of the conservators I'm talking to may be one of the conservators at the Smithsonian, possibly. I know Yale, I have someone that we're gonna to talk to from, from, from Yale, so we'll, we'll see. Um, museumtextiles.com is really good. I, I, I like them just because they have a list of other places to go other than them to look for things. So um, they've got condition reporting forms already built up for you. We're gonna do one of those later. Then the CCI notes are really great. Getty Conservation is good. They actually have a YouTube channel, Getty does, and has a lot of really cool um, textile conservation info there. NEDCC doesn't really have textile stuff except for like a really generalized um, um, objects type of thing. Then there's this, and I think this was just the link from in here, the illustrated guide here and um, the curatorial care of textile objects which i think is really useful so you know it tells you what are the characteristics the fabrication how is it made how does it fall apart what what are the normal like deterioration that you're going to see with this particular type of material how do you handle it how do i store it and there's an issue if you're storing it flat and anytime you do anything folded that fold that crease is going to be you know a, a place where it's going to you know, break first. So do you roll it? Are there other options? Do you hang it, costumes? You know, what do you do? And then exhibition um, situation, which I think is great, historic conservation treatments. And again, you never want to attempt a conservation treatment unless you've particularly been um, trained in that. So and then there's an illustrated guide to care of costume and textile collections here at Collections Trust. And I was really hopeful about this one. However, it's all, um, although still useful, I'm just gonna scroll down. It's all like line drawings, <laughs> um, which is, is still nice when it's like showing you how to do things like, you know, here's how you vacuum. But when it's like, here's what the fiber looks like, and you're like, why? Well, you could have put a photograph in. Um, so, that one's good for the information, but the photographs are, you know, not the best. Um, these are the CCI um, sheets. I forget what they call theirs, preservation guides. Anyway, um, but they go into understanding most common textile fibers, natural versus manufactured, what the, the structure of it looks like, what to do about dyes or finishes. I think this one does a lot more um, in-depth on conservation type of stuff until you come into pests and the pest is the one here that's really, really useful. It's got a lot of photographs about here's, um, you know, what, what kind of bug did this or, um, you know, so um, I like this one for the pests. 
that sentence you hear every day. And then the Met just has some really good, like fun videos where they were doing some wall hangings and that type of stuff. So if you're interested in textiles, that's a good one to do. They did this, um, I don't think it was a carpet, it was maybe a, a tapestry recently and they have the full conservation video, a couple hours of it on, um, on YouTube. And I think they set up a GoPro. There's a whole like thing about it. Then this taking care of textiles is literally just a WordPress site, but their online resources page had some really good resource lists that I liked. And let's see, I'm out of time. I'm sorry. And how to handle antique textiles and costumes from the Smithsonian, obviously very good. Um, but their info here is, is really concise. So if you just needed like a snippet, I really like how it does that. And then last one is the Henry Ford. And they have um, care, storage, and handling of artifacts. And then it's like specifically um, textiles and costumes here, archival materials. They just have some really good little fact sheets as well that I liked that you guys might find useful if it wants to open today. We'll see. I don't know. So yeah, so causes of a deterioration, nature of textile, a lot of the same information some of the other ones have, but if you just needed like a quick little printout to keep in a folder um, in like a lab manual, this is kind of what I do for my students when they work in the lab is we have several of these types of things printed out for easy access to find. So that is all the links and resources that way that I had for you. Um, your, the book, the chapters in the book go into a lot more depth on the um, sciencey side of things. So I didn't want to like recover what they already said. And the, I, this, these two sections of the book do such a good job explaining it. I didn't want to have to like go over that, but um, I did want to go over, if you have a couple minutes, just the virtual lab three, but if you need to go, I totally understand because I'm, I'm taking a little bit longer. Um, but this is one of the options of the things that you can make is the sleeve. It's a little floor flap for glass sides or photographs. And so I've got a little tutorial um, uh, on how to do this. So basically how to measure it out and cut and then put some score lines in it with your um, bone folders here. So generally what it should look like. And then it just folds around the photograph uh, or glass plate slides and that keeps it all in check. And then you can put them in a um, little binder and then label it so you know where it goes. Um, then for the other option, you can mat a photo. So you'll learn how to map the photo and put it on, um, have the backing and everything together. So that way it doesn't smush the, the photograph. And then the third option is if you don't wanna do a hands-on thing, there's several webinars that you can choose from um, on any of the topics that are non-book and paper um, that I have found and or that you can find and then you can send me the link and I can yay or nay it for you. And basically you'll just do, you'll watch the pre-recorded webinar and then kind of give a review, ask more questions, um, things like that. So it should be a fairly easy um, virtual lab this week. Um, 
the, the first two, the hands-on stuff don't take a whole lot of time to do. Um, but the webinar is definitely going to be the longer option, but it's not a hands-on thing. So it's totally your call. All right. Do the labs specify what kind of paper we would use for those? It, it will, yeah. It, just any kind of like firm paper. So a cardstock, you can even do it with just regular copy paper. Um, that's fine. Again, uh, we're not doing anything to preservation standards as far as materials are concerned this semester, um, just because of the limitations of it. But it's more of just learning how to work the material and get those measurements right. So whenever I teach students, I always have them start off on regular paper before we get into the more expensive, like preservation quality, archival quality supplies anyway, just because it gets really expensive really fast. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if we were dipping into our poster board yet. Um, no. If, if you're doing the mat, then yes, the, the mat will do the poster board. But if you're doing the sleeve, then just regular paper is fine. So, but overall, I have really enjoyed everyone's submissions for the discussion. So I'm, I'm looking forward to going back through and actually commenting on those when I get a chance. Um, and I don't know if anyone has noticed, but basically the way I'm doing the grading for everything up until we get to the final project is it's a pass or fail. So you get the points, but if you've done it, unless there's like some wildly problematic thing, I'm, I'm just giving you full points um, for two reasons is I, I don't have the time to write up a full rubric to go with everything. Um, so you don't know specifics of what I would be looking for, but as long as you meet everything on the list, on the outline, um, I'm, I'm counting it as pass. So I hope that helps as well. Um, I think that's all I got for you, I think. Unless anybody when has will anything. the labs be released? I am hoping, I think I have them set for midnight tonight or possibly the morning. So we'll see. So yeah, you're more than welcome to jet out if you need to go. If anyone needs to stay for office hours or questions, um, I will stay for a few minutes or until everyone's gone. So thanks so much guys and gals. too. I have a quick question. Sure, go for it. Um, for the discussion post, that means you're looking for both, like if we do a discussion post really early on and you get the, give us the grade for that, you're going to look for the reply later for just waiting for more people to... Correct. Okay. Yeah. So uh, if you have done the discussion and you only got the 10 out of the 15, that just means when I graded it, I didn't see you had posted a reply yet. So at the end of the week, I've been trying to go back and anyone that has a 10, I'll you know, click on theirs and see if a reply has been posted yet. And if that's the case, I'll add that extra five points. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and second question. So uh, the museum I work at, we use Mylar for photographs and all that. Should mm -hmm. I just 
forego, pretend to forego everything that I've learned for this week. And you know, if you, if you know something, you're more than welcome to incorporate that in some way, um, by all means. So, or if there's a method of photo conservation or photo preservation that you've wanted to try, you're more than welcome. I always leave an option on there for like other, if there's something else you want to try, just shoot me an email, like explaining what it is you want to do. If there's a tutorial for it or something, send me that link and I'll probably just say yes. And then you can, can do that. So the only thing you'd have to add is at the end, the same little review, like how do you think you did? Did you enjoy it? What'd you learn? What, when would you use this? The same kind of stuff I have you add at the end of each of the labs so far. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I had a question. Sure. I'm not sure of the format, if it's acceptable, of my most recent submission. Which one was that? Um, the lab, video lab two. Let me pull it up. It's taking a second, give me just a moment. Apparently I have 87 tabs open, so. You said virtual lab too? Mm -hmm. That is the wrong button. One bad thing about like the Mac is like how it keeps moving the screen on you. You just find you here. MP4, MP4 yes. should be fine. Okay. Did you just do like a little video? Yeah, because I was uh, the pausing and trying to take the pictures was just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally fine with videos. Um, so yeah, that, that should be fine. Um, I have to like download it and stuff to, to watch it. But yeah, I have no problem with videos if you wanted to do them that way. Um, I just wanted to make sure because yeah. yeah did you have um I know there's a couple questions at the end did you just like speak those into existence or I, I did a, um okay. for some of them throughout okay. um and then I have a response at the end okay cool. yeah that should be fine then if I have any issues with it I, I'll just you know give you a little note in the grade um in the grade box if I need anything else. So yeah, that, that sounds fine to me. That, I mean, unless I have to read, makes it easy. <laughs> I, no. I'm learning I'm a lazy grader. <laughs> I, I did go a little more elaborate than you had indicated we should just because I was like, this 
this is maddening. And so I think that maybe I should share my madness. <laughs> it's my goal is just to stress you guys out as much as possible. Uh, no, no, that's fine. Um, did you do the Japanese stab binding? I'm guessing. No, I did the first one. I just had trouble getting uh, the holes wide enough for my thread. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and that ended up basically there's clown music. So, you know. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> now, I, there's been a couple of times where uh, students have added in like, extra commentary or something it's always appreciated I, I enjoy some good humor I obviously I don't take myself very seriously and um yeah so it's it's a fun class I think and a fun topic so anytime that you get to add some humor or, you know goofy into into a assignment I'm all for it okay well great thanks I just wanted yeah. to double check before I did anything else in that vein. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no worries. Sounds good to okay. me. Thanks, Knight. See ya. <laughs>